At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. everything to us. Thank you, Father, that you love us, that you look at us, and you say, my beloved children, that you call us, your church, your beloved. So I thank you that we are here sitting up under your love right now, that as we have proclaimed over our own life, knowing we can't even do it for our own life, but that you have made yourself everything to us, and we reminded ourselves that you are everything. So I pray today, right now, as we go to the holy word of God, as we go to your sacred scriptures, the timeless truth, that you will have done work in our minds already, that you are tilling and plowing the soil of our heart, that the word of truth would fall fresh inside of us, and that a harvest of righteousness would begin inside of us for our lives, that our lives would look like righteousness that you are harvesting, because you're everything to us, because without you, none of this matters. Without you, Jesus, without a risen Savior, these are just songs. Without a risen Savior, these are just words. But because we have you, Jesus, everything matters. Thank you that you brought us to this place today. Thank you that everything we've ever been through in our life matters to you. That every moment we've ever had leads us right here. That all of our past has brought us right here to our present. And the future doesn't matter yet because you haven't given it to us yet. So please, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, meet with us right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, meet with us. Speak to us inside of our, our very being in the depth of who we are. Speak a word from heaven today. Because that's all we need. We love you. We praise you. And we do indeed declare, you are everything. Everybody tell Jesus, you are everything to me. You are everything to me. Jesus, you are everything to me. So it's because you are everything to us that we pray all these things in accordance with your perfect will for our lives. And in the name above every name, the only name given amongst men by which men would be saved, the only name given that demons flee at, the only name that every tongue shall confess and every knee will bow to one day, 
the name of Jesus. Together we say amen and hallelujah. Let's give God praise, church. Yes. Let's continue to bless God for our worship team. Let's bless God that he has delivered us a worship team that leads us to the throne week in and week out. Let's bless God for our children as they make their way to kids' ministry. As our kids make their way to kids' ministry, let's give our kids some blessing. Come on, let's, let's give our kids a round of applause to know that we love you, kids. Hallelujah. You may be seated, friends, as our, as our beautiful children make their way to kids' ministry. Isn't it such a joy to have kids worshiping with us? Don't you just love having your baby singing next to you? Oh, it's such a privilege. I'm so glad we're here on another Sunday uh, in this series called Smoke and Mirrors, which we've been in for five weeks. This is number five. We're going to wrap it up next week. Denzel's going to be here next week to, to preach the final week of our six-week series called Smoke and Mirrors, where we have been deciphering capital T truth in a world full of lowercase t truths. And we've looked at the preacher, the Koheleth, as he is called, in the book of Ecclesiastes, tell us about all these things that he's chased, all this work that he's done, all these accomplishments, ambition, and achievement that has been added onto his life. And what does he call all of it? Vanity. Vanity of vanities meaninglessness is what it is. So needless to say, this has been a very uplifting sermon series for all of us that we're looking at our whole lives and everything we could achieve. And Solomon is saying, it's all meaningless, friends. But he turns a very important corner today. So we're going to wrap up chapter two today as we look at uh, all these purposes of life or meanings of life that Solomon has pursued. Uh, so turn in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter two. We're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to take it through the end of the chapter, verse 26. Ecclesiastes Chapter 2, starting in verse 18 through verse 26 today. And I want to open with a question. And the question is this. What is success? What is success? Now, in 2021, that answer is going to be pretty varied, I would say. That success for me might look different than success for you. And there may be a number of different definitions of success floating around out there. Maybe a better question than what is success is, is one that is pointed directly at you. Everybody say me. Okay, everybody say me. There, we almost, we're like 80%. I know how many voices are out there today, okay? I can hear it. And I know, and I know some people who come every Sunday, no matter what I ask you to say, you're never going to say it. I know, it's okay. My feelings aren't hurt. It's all right. We're, we're all here together. But maybe a better question is, at what point will I have done enough or gotten enough that I'll consider myself successful? Because success looks different for everybody, right? But at what point will I have done enough or gotten enough to consider myself successful because success is really on a gradation of the word enough. Have I gotten enough or done enough? And we live in a very driven society uh, here in the United States of America, right? We know that, and we can just look at our children uh, for great examples of that, right? We want our kids to be active, but we don't want our kids just to play basketball, right? They need to be uh, in AAU. They need to be the next Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Steph Curry. They need to have a shoe deal, and they need to take over the world, right? Nobody just plays youth sports anymore. That is all these other things that come with it. And you guys are all very familiar with this stuff. I'm going to throw out a couple quotes. And if you know the quote, I want you to finish the quote for me, okay? Here it is. You may have heard a youth sports coach or two say this before. Winning isn't everything, 
it's the only thing. Thank you, brother. That's right. Or winning isn't everything, but it's a whole lot more fun than losing. Or from uh, the great modern-day prophet Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, if you ain't first, you're last. That's right. Somebody's got it. That's good, right? Uh, We're told to be the best, to want the most, to get the most, to do the most. And that's why we're in this sermon series in Ecclesiastes. That's why we're opening our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And I want to set the stage a little bit with some reminders for you. Solomon was the best, did the most, had the most, got the most, and evaluated his life and said, none of it matters. He's looked at these areas of potential meaning of his life that continues to be issues in our own lives, honestly. Yes, this is a couple thousand years old, uh, but all these areas that he is talking about in his life are areas that we need to be wrestling with in our own lives. And we uh, opened this sermon series in chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Right, So he's somebody who is very successful, very wealthy, very accomplished. He built an amazing temple, and he accomplished everything that someone could accomplish. And the topic that we're going to look at this week is certainly something he dealt with and something we're all still dealing with because humanity continues to learn, achieve, and accumulate more and more and more in this never-ending hunt for meaning and purpose on our lives. And today, the, the next ism we're going to look at is materialism. That we are going to look at materialism and how it impacts every single one of us today. Now, Not everybody here struggles with materialism, but everybody here can at least acknowledge materialism in their life. Amen? We're immersed in a culture that pushes this on us. We're immersed in a culture that says, do more so you can get more. Work harder so you can get more. Be more so you'll be looked at as more successful. And there is a hopeful antidote that I want to offer to you before we go deep into this message. The antidote is the big idea today, and it's something that's very important for us to understand. The big idea is very simple today, and it's also the antidote to materialism. It is simply, God is generous. Let's repeat after me. God is generous. Now, we all just said that, and most of us would probably affirm that, yet so often our posture as we approach life is one that absolutely does not believe that. We can say that, and we can say, yeah, that's true, but I think the problem is that we're just not convinced of that. We're not convinced of a generous God, so I got to go out and get mine, right? We're not convinced that God is generous, so I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go get what I want. And all of our actions, I think, kind of point us to this inner struggle. This inner struggle that's point number one uh, today, and and it, it points us to this question of, why don't I ever feel like I have enough? Why don't I ever feel like I have enough? Because even in the moments where you do feel like you have enough, there's the next moment where you're not going to feel like you have enough very close around the corner. So let's look at the Bible and see what Solomon, our preacher here, has to say. Remember, preacher, this, this word used in Hebrew is koheleth, which simply means somebody who's gathering people together to give them truth or wisdom, to teach them something. So the koheleth has us gathered together here for a reason. Let's read chapter 2. The final vanity that Solomon lays out in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes through verse 23, 18 through 23, the vanity of toil. The preacher says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. 
So remember, under the sun shows up 38 times throughout Ecclesiastes, and it's just life on earth, basically. So he says, I hate all my work on earth. Why? Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or be a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Verse 23, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. One theologian, Ian Proven, calls this section the confessions of a workaholic. Right? And if you have ever been touched by that or plagued by that, you can understand very clearly why Solomon opens our text today in verse 18 where he says, I hate all the work that I do on earth. I hate this. Why? Because of the varied meaninglessness. If we've been tracking with us throughout this sermon series, you've seen that he says this where he said a, 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 series earlier, excuse me, a sermon earlier, I hated my life. I gave up for despair because I saw all this stuff didn't do anything for me. Whether it was naturalism, where he said, the streams, they all run to the ocean, but the ocean never fills up. Or it was intellectualism, where he says, even if you gain all the wisdom in the world, God is still wiser, and that wisdom looks like foolishness. Or if it was hedonism, where he said, I, I found all the pleasure that I possibly could. Remember, we went through MTV Cribs, and we went through Solomon's house, and we saw all this stuff that he had, and he said, it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. Or it was ambition yesterday, or last Sunday, where we looked at how he employed wisdom for the sake of ambition to try to achieve more. And he said, none of it matters. And now today, he's looking at materialism and saying, everything I've gained, I'm going to have to leave it to somebody else. And it's all meaninglessness, right? So he is in the pursuit right now. We're going to use this phrase time and time again today for stuff and things. The pursuit of stuff and things. How many of you have lots of stuff and things in your life? Amen. How many of you have a lot of stuff and things in your garage? In your basement? In your storage unit? Maybe your second storage unit? Any, any really honest souls out here? It's a lot of stuff and things. And he says it's all meaningless, right? And this is a common teaching, right? We, we know this story really well from the New Testament. Jesus teaches this in Luke chapter 12, right? He's preaching and teaching, and there's thousands around him. People are piling up on each other, it says. And then somebody yells out in the crowd. A man yells out to him, and he says, Jesus, settle this dispute for me. I need you to fix something for me. He says, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Right? Every parent knows this call very well. Mom, make him share. Jesus responds in Luke chapter 12 with verse 15. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. 
So Jesus right away is teaching this parable that, uh, that we understand well. So he tells this man who shouts at him in the crowd, uh, hey, this is not what life's all about. And then he goes on in standard Jesus form uh, to tell a story for a question or to ask a question to answer a question. And he tells this parable about a very successful farmer. This farmer's so successful and his land produces so plentifully and bountifully that he has a big problem on his hands. He says, I have so much crops and goods, I don't know what to do with it. And then he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns that exist, and I'm going to build bigger barns for all my stuff and things. I've got more stuff and things, so now I'm going to build bigger barns. And after he builds these bigger barns, he says to himself, he's talking to himself, he says, soul, you can rest now. You know what you can do, soul? Eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy life. You've got enough. And then in Jesus' words, speaking on behalf of God in chapter, in chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, he speaks for God and God says, you fool. Your life is required of you this very evening. You're going to die tonight and where is all your stuff going to go? Who's going to get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. In other words, this man thought something that probably many of us think. If I could just build more, gain more, get more, collect more, and store more, then, then I'll be able to have comfort in my soul. Then I'll be able to rest once I get enough. And we all know what this feels like. Every single one of us knows what this feels like. Whether it's something that you don't have and the world is telling you you need to have it, there's a reason advertisements cost so much on TV. And it's because the uh, merchandiser always gets a return on their investment. They don't care if they spend $5 million for a 30-second spot at the Super Bowl. Why? Because suckers like us are going to give them $50 million, right? They know that they're going to tell us we need something and then we're going to go get it, right? That if you want to be an attractive man, you have to get a Gillette razor to get the smoothest shave or if you want to be the woman of someone's dreams I, I did this first service and now I'm doing it again I told myself I wouldn't do it because I didn't have a product in mind because I don't have a tv and I don't even know what the world is trying to sell women today right like get this skin cream and you'll be irresistible or something or shoes or cars how many of you have seen a commercial for that new Ford Lightning Oof, that thing's slick isn't it right all right we'll get back the message. So this is, this is the new things, right? If I could just get this, or if I could just get that, or whatever it is, then I'll be complete, then I'll be good, then I'll be cool, then I'll be loved, then I'll be everything that I need to be. Or it's even the storage of old things. One of the fastest growing industries in the country over the last decade has been self-storage, right? Extra garages, right? Space for junk. And I'm not saying anybody that's ever had a storage unit, you've been doing the wrong things, right? Temporary storage, there's a great reason for it when you're moving stuff from one house to another house or whatever it is. But if it's just stuff that you may need one day and it ends up getting sold at auction when you die, you probably didn't need it anyway, right? So it's this idea of, I got to hold on to this because I may need it one day and there's comfort in my soul because I know in the back of my mind it's there. Or if I could just get this pair of shoes or if I could just get this car or this new title, whatever it is, if I can go from account supervisor one to account supervisor two, then I really will have made it. Many times we yearn for good and godly and right and wise things, 
But if that yearning ever eclipses the one who gives us the thanks, that's where we've missed it. Even legacy won't last or matter. Studies say that 60% of all inherited wealth is gone by the end of the second generation. So even if you leave stuff, it's going to go away in a few generations anyway, at least 60% of the time. The fear of the self-made people, which I don't really like that term, but self-made men or self-made women, is that they've spoiled their family so much or their family's never known want or hunger that they won't know how to deal with this. They won't know how to actually work for it. And hearing all these things and maybe hearing some examples that hit closer to home than others is a perfect moment, an opportunity to pause and examine where am I? Do I think that if I could just get something then I would be loved? Do I think that I thank God I have my furniture from my first house in a storage unit in a city I don't even live in? Like, am I, am I happy about this? Am I wondering if, if that all goes away one day? Will I have this? Am I finding my, my security in stuff and things? Drifts can happen to us without even realizing it's happening. Now, I am uh, the, the hero of zero stories. Uh, but I want to tell a story about my own life. Um, when I first got saved, uh, I lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Shelby Township. I had a mattress on the floor. I had a bowl, a spoon, and a bike. And in many ways, it was the happiest I've ever been in my life. Now, I'm not saying anything about my lovely life that God has blessed me with today. I love all four of my children. I have the best wife in this church for sure. Probably the, probably the best wife on earth, right? I, I, yeah, amen. Clap for her. She's great. <laughs> but I look around and like I go home. I'm going to drive my 1997 GMC Sierra home today. Uh, and I'm going to back into the garage. And I'm going to wonder, am I going to run over a bike, right? It, it happens every single day. Um, because I have more bikes in my garage than I do kids at my house. So I wonder like, why? Why is that even there? Why do I have any of this stuff? And, and I evaluate, like, has my heart drifted to a place that uh, I don't trust God enough to provide a bicycle for my child when he grows into it? Or am I just being a good, calculated manager and planner? Which is it? It's very sneaky, the endless pursuit for stuff and things, causing us to uh, feel comforted. And then somewhere along the way, most of us feel this tension, just like I'm feeling this tension right now as a 35-year-old father of four who's been married for 11 years, and I love my life. I absolutely love my life. But I look back as I was writing this message to that one-bedroom apartment in Shelby Township where I'd ride my bike like 12 miles to church on a Sunday morning, and I loved it, and I had joy because there, was, there were such fewer things standing in between me and God. It was me and God. I didn't have to worry about this other stuff. Now, by no means, again, am I lamenting the things that God has blessed me with today. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Do I need more bikes than I have kids? No, I don't. So if anybody wants a bike donation, by all means, come on over. I'll give it, I'll give it to you. I'll probably give you more than a bike. My wife may try and stop you on the way out, but I'll, I'll give everything away. <laughs> Less to clean, right? Amen? Just a couple people can testify to that. Amen. But the temptation to build bigger barns is all over our lives. 
Maybe it's just the fear of loss. And some of us have been through tragedies where we've lost everything, so we feel like we need a security net, we need a safety net. Because if I lose everything again, then what am I going to have? Again, do we not trust God to provide if we lose everything? Some of us, it's fear of retirement, right? That how many of you know at least one person who worked one year longer than they should have because they were scared they weren't going to have enough money? And that is easily the worst year of their career, right? They hate every day of going into work like that. It's a fear of not having enough or competition or uh, being sneakily taken over or advantage of all these different things. And this is why we have the book of Ecclesiastes. This is why Solomon gives us this wisdom. This is why in verse 23 he says it's all meaningless. All the work, it's going to go away. All this stuff, it doesn't matter. And in fact, what it is, it's a vexation on your life. A vexation is a great term, a great word that is uh, defined as like annoyed, irritated, uh, even like exasperated, upset, or inflamed because you are not getting the outcome that you want. Or, uh, and then he says that you're not even going to be granted rest. How many late night worriers do we have here? Come on. Sometimes I feel like my eyeballs are going to shoot out of my eyelids in bed, right? I'm just oh, so much going on. Nothing we might possibly desire in this world, even if it's good and godly, will ever compare to God's infinite, majestic, boundless, grace-filled love because God is generous we have to believe this and there's even really good things that we want right I, I talked with with my new daughter raven she always wants to show up as an illustration in the message i'm like trust me you don't um <laughs> like my children make a lot of great illustrations in the message do it this way and don't do it that way right um but we were talking through this message and just kind of praying about what what does that look like for you you know and she had a really good and godly right and wise yearning in her heart and it was that she wanted a home she didn't have a permanent home so i said have you ever wanted anything so bad that it hurt she said a house and i said was there ever even a moment or a day where you didn't trust god to get you the house anymore where you just said i just want the house and she said yeah you know absolutely that happens in my life so even good things that we yearn for if we don't yearn more for the one who can give it to us then we've fallen into the trap of materialism, church. We've fallen into something so... And we can... Self-deception is very powerful in our lives, right? We can deceive ourselves very quickly. I need this. I need that. Don't hate on me. This is a good... God told me I would have this. How many of you have ever been hit with that before? God told me this was going to happen, and I'm like, that's not in the Bible, right? He doesn't tell you stuff that contradicts the Bible. It does not work that way, okay? When, whenever somebody comes up to me and they're like, God said we're going to get married. I'm like, okay, I'll be here, right? And I'll be ready to perform the, the wedding. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that. Um, but be careful. Just be really careful because usually that ends poorly. Now, when we understand the generosity of our Father and we understand and we believe that, then you can understand that you walked into an intergalactic holiday today. Did you guys know it was a holiday today? Did you know that? That, yeah, yeah, praise God. Sunday, August 22nd, 2021, is there's no better day to get your relationship right with the Lord day, okay? Right? There's, there's no, it's, it's a universal holiday. Let's celebrate. Yes, amen. 
no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've gone through, no matter how painful your experience has been, no matter how deep you feel entrapped or entrenched in the lifestyle of materialism, today is the very best day to get your life right with God again. Today is the very best day to realign a hunger for more into a satisfaction with provision, right? A hunger for more stuff and things into a satisfaction that God is the provider and God shares his spoils with his people. Point number two is God shares his spoils with his people. Let's read the last three verses of chapter two, verse 24 through 26. Solomon says this, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Why? Apart from him, who can eat or have any enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This is also a vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon takes a stark turn here from materialism into the hand of God. He says, whatever eating and drinking and work you do, the only way you're going to enjoy it is if you look at it as being from the hand of God anyway. If you do it for yourself, you're going to hate it. If you are working for yourself, worried about where all this stuff and things are going to go, you're going to end up like me, Solomon, and say, I hate my work. If you find all the pleasure on earth and you realize that you are still empty, you're going to be just like Solomon. He's going to say, I hated my life, is what it says. But if we recognize all the enjoyment possible comes from the hand of God, that's when we can start to understand something. But Solomon didn't have to go through all of this. Now, you may think, I'm not anything like Solomon. I don't have this many wives or concubines. I don't have this money. I didn't build the temple. And you would be right to say that you're not exactly like Solomon. But we would be missing it to say that we are not spiritually like Solomon. Now, we are very much in the same place. And Solomon had a lesson to learn. All he had to do was go back in time. And all we have to do is go back in time. So let's learn a lesson from the lesson he could have and should have learned. And maybe didn't have to go through all this mess, right? Now, a life of wealth. And he said, I loved what I got from my work. Like he was proud of the work that he did, right? Because God gave him the work to do. And he noticed this after a while. But he had a lesson that he could have learned. He could have gone back to the very first pages of Scripture and learned a very valuable lesson. In the beginning, God created. Verse 29 of uh, Genesis chapter 1, God says this. He says, Behold, I have given you everything. Look, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. I've given you everything. I've given you every tree and seed and its fruit, and you shall have it for food, right? So they were given everything. Let's just consider this. God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. When he did, he looked at it and said, this is good, right? He created plants, animals, Adam and Eve. He provided every need for them. It was good. He walked with them in the cool of the day. There were no boundaries between God and people, There was only one rule in that moment, right? Don't eat this. That's it. Don't eat that. I gave you everything else, literally everything, on the face of the earth, it says. Don't eat that. Now, there's a a quick uh, sub example for us here. Please stop being so focused on your brokenness that you can't see your blessedness, right? Please stop being so focused that the few things messed up in your life that you forget 
wow, I am amazingly blessed to be sitting in a church with air conditioning. Like you are blessed, our lives are blessed. But we get so hung up on that one thing, right? And people get mad at God about this. They're like, why would he restrict that? He didn't want them to be like him. Why is he so restrictive? Why is he trying to keep humanity down? Mostly because they're the creation and he's the creator. He can do whatever he wants with them, right? That's, that's who we are, right? So the only rule is don't eat that. God is generous. He gave them everything. Here's the lesson Solomon could have learned. That it's the same sin he fell into and we're falling into, that they fell into. What was the first sin? Right? It, it, it's not eating the fruit, right? That's not the first place where sin shows up. Eve didn't, like, stumble and fall with her mouth open onto the fruit and, like, oh, man. Like Uzzah, when he touches the ark, he's trying to do something good and godly, but he knew better and he died, right? She knew better, she died. It was the appetite for more. It's the same thing we struggle with today. It's the same thing Solomon struggled with today. They had everything, yet said, I want more. Now, she had help along the way, right? I don't blame Eve. I, I blame Satan for sin, right? That's who we should always blame for sin. Now, she could have stopped. Also, Adam could have stopped her and should have stopped her and said, honey, don't eat that. Husbands, do not employ that necessarily as a verbatim rule, right, over and over again with everything. This is a particular illustration. Okay, I just want to make sure, I'm, again, I'm always trying to give husbands as many points as I can from the pulpit, right? I'm trying to help y'all. If we have healthy marriages, we have a healthy church. Amen. All right. Uh, but they had everything, and it wasn't enough. Solomon could have looked back to the beginning pages of Scripture and said, Wow, they had everything. They walked with God, and it still wasn't enough. They were able to enjoy the Lord in the garden and enjoy all of creation because he gave it to them, and it still wasn't enough. So Solomon in verse 25 says something amazing. This section wraps up with this amazing statement where he says, here's what you're going to get, wisdom, knowledge, and joy. How many of you would like those three things today? Amen. Okay, wisdom, knowledge, and joy are given to the one who pleases God. What proof text do you need for righteousness? What else do you need to try to live a righteous and holy life, right? That wisdom, knowledge, and joy are going to be given to the one who pleases God. Oh, and then the sinner, it's their job to gather and collect to then give to the one who pleases God. Solomon was really keen on this, right? He wrote this in a proverb as well where he said, the wealth of the wicked is stored at the feet of the righteous. So as we hear this, we're like, oh, yeah, I should be righteous then. I want all this good stuff. I should be righteous, and I should please God. But who is the one that pleases God? Is it the people that came to the early service that didn't sleep in more? Was it them? Okay. That was a quick no from some people. <laughs> is it the one who is extra religious and pious and really tries their very best to do all the right things and looks down at other people that don't? Is this the one that pleases God? Is the one that pleases God the one that makes the fewest mistakes? Who is the one that pleases God? There's only ever been one that has pleased God, and his name is Jesus. There's only ever been one where God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, and I take delight in him. So how do you please God? Here's a trick question. You can't. You can't please God. 
because we were wrought in sin. We were born in sin. There's only one way to please God today, and his name is Jesus. There's only ever been one who is perfect. There's only ever been one that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize we're no longer slaves to sin. If we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at you and takes pleasure in you. Did you know that if you belong to Jesus, God loves you? Did you know that if you belong to Jesus, that you are literally pleasurable to him? Did you know that if your faith, hope, and trust are in Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior, he looks at you and says, wow, yes, I love you because I no longer see your sin marring you. I see my son's righteousness draped over you. You are a pleasure to God when you have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. But we do not believe that. We believe that God is only generous to those who do the right things. We believe that God is only generous to the people that he loves extra specially. No, he loves everyone found in Jesus. Everyone's created in his image, but only those who have authentically and truly put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior are his children, and his children are beloved. And if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, that is you today, right? Because if you do that, it doesn't mean that your life was upgraded. This is one of the, the, the biggest misnomers with discipleship in the Western church that we have. That if I put my faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, I upgrade. False. If you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, you die. That is what happens. Death to yourself is what happens. No one can be my disciple unless they carry their cross. He's not saying unless you stop smoking cigarettes. He's saying unless your life is dead. Carrying your cross is an instrument of death, friends. It's not something hard for you to put down. It's not an Oreo, right? It is, it is your life dies, literally dies. And then you can actually repeat Paul's words and say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is how you please God. This is how you get ultimately one day all the wealth of the wicked stored at the feet of the righteous. This is how you get all the sinners who have been condemned to gather and collect for the righteous, for the ones who please God, because there is a kingdom coming that will never end. Because there is a kingdom coming that has already started, but has not been fully consummated, and you can be a part of it. So how do you please God? Jesus is the only answer. How do I please God? Jesus is the only answer. It's not take the most copious amount of notes when the preacher preaches. You have to do something about it. And the only way you can do something about it is say, I can't do anything about this. Jesus, I need your help. Holy Spirit of the living God, help me. When you are more hungry for God than you are for stuff and things, that's when your life can change. When you're more hungry for God than you are for stuff and things, that's when your life actually gets easy, friends. Now, you may, you may think, like, what do you mean the Christian life is easy? Jesus said it was going to be hard. I'm talking about easy like simple. There's nothing simpler than the gospel. There's nothing simpler than following Christ with your life. Because it says it, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you don't even have a life anymore, right? When people put God on a shelf, I don't think he's pleased. And I think the problem that we face, most of us, is that we haven't actually tasted and seen what this really means. That maybe we're really religious and we do, the, we do more good things than we do bad things. 
Maybe uh, we come to church because it's the right thing to do. Maybe you got saved at a youth camp in 1983 and you've been coming to church ever since and you're wondering, like, why am I actually here? Maybe you gave your heart to Christ in an, in an emotional moment at a revival in 2004 and you just keep coming and you're like, this is, I think, what I'm supposed to be doing. I, live, I wish life was as easy as this, to just be able to gain instant insight from the application of the Word of God. I wish we could all just sit here for a moment and instantaneously remember that we ache for the Lord and not for the things of this world. I wish that it was so simple and easy that we could just say, yeah, I do agree with you, God, that a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. I wish we could remember quickly how temporary this life is. Don't you wish that that would be this easy, just like that? Good. It is. It is that easy, actually. And you don't have to do anything. More than anything, what you have to do is let go of the stuff that's killing you, right? Repent and let go of the things that are killing you, the broken mindsets, the broken ideas, the sinful passions and desires because you want the world more than you want God. Let's just call it what it is. Let's all look in the mirror and say, I like stuff and things more than I like Jesus. Because when that is true, your life continues on, on this spiral of more and more and more, and what will they think of me, and what, what, what am I going to be viewed as if I wear these clothes, or drive this car, or have this title, or, or whatever I work for, all these things. And none of them are inherently bad, friends. But when we want these things more than we want Jesus, it is a very simple equation. You're more hungry for the world than you are for the one who created it. And I know sometimes the Christian life can feel difficult. I know it's hard to have one rule, right? Don't eat that. It didn't work for them. And it's hard for us, but there is grace available to us. And I have no doubt in my mind that if you have not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody who's Christian or not Christian. You know exactly what I'm talking about of the empty life, of I got the promotion and I felt good for a month and then I'm right back into hating my boss and my job, of I got the new thing and I somehow don't feel any better, or I, how many of you are still thinking about that new Ford Lightning? I am a little bit, it's back here, right? I got this new Ford Lightning and people still cut me off on the freeway. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing thing, how's this happen? I thought they would just cower in my glory. So I have no doubt that you've already learned this, you've experienced this, that the things of the world will never satisfy, but I also want to remind you that today is a international, intergalactic, universal holiday, no better day than today to get your life right with the Lord day, okay? Right here today, right now. That everything can change for you when you look at Jesus and you say, it's you, it's only you. It's never me. It's none of the things I can get or do, God. It's just you. And if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, for so many of us in this room, we know that feeling. We know that moment, right? It's, that, it's the one-bedroom apartment I lived in Shelby Township moment where I was like, Jesus, I don't care about anything else other than you. And, and for those of you who have authentically put your hope in Jesus, you've had that moment. And you remember it. You can probably call back to it where nothing else around you mattered, where your spouse, your kids, your work, your clothes didn't matter. 
And I'm not saying that our spouse, our kids, our work, our clothes shouldn't matter. I'm saying if anything matters more than Jesus, we're missing it. Because this is the life that pleases God. This is the life that Jesus invites us and calls us and beckons us and actually demands us into. But when we have cultural Christianity, where I just come to church, but I do whatever I want, Monday to Saturday, that's not a life that's sold out to Jesus. Bottom line, it's not a life that's sold out to Jesus. And if you are wondering what this moment I'm talking about is, if you're wondering like, wow, I've never experienced a moment where it felt like the entire universe stopped and it was just me and my creator, then maybe you haven't had it yet. And there's no better today than international, intergalactic, get your life right with God day today than to have it. Now, it's not up to you. It's not up to me when this moment happens. But I do know that prayer changes things. I do know that God is in control of all of the cosmos. And I do know that he wants you. That I know. Today might not be the day for you, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you should stop coming to church. It doesn't mean that you uh, are, are not a, a real Christian. But if you have not experienced a moment in your life when the whole world stops, and you know that you know that you know that Jesus is holding you, then you don't belong to him yet. And it's a hard reality for us, church. But we have to get there. Because we can drift. Our hearts can drift and we start to focus on more of what we can hold in our hands than the one who gives it to us, the one who puts stuff in our hands and then we use it instead of holding on to a couple things really tightly. Nothing can get put in your hands like this if you're closed-fisted. But to open your hands and say, God, whatever it is, bring it to me and I'll use it for your glory. When we followed the idol of more, because that's what it is, idolatry, right? It's worshiping something other than God. More stuff, more things. We've fallen into the exact same sin as Adam and Eve. We've fallen into the exact same sin as Solomon. We've fallen into the exact same trap of I have everything and it still isn't enough. Now, I, I understand how life can kind of spin on and, and move on. As the worship team comes back up to the stage, uh, we're going to sing a, a great song called You Hold It All Together. It's a beautiful song. It's a new song that Wendell's going to teach to us today. Uh, but I want to remind you that if you've been in that moment, if you've been in that vacuum moment, and I remember exactly where I was, I remember exactly how I felt, the temperature, what shoes I was wearing, everything, because there was a moment where the cosmos stopped and Jesus grabbed me and I knew in my heart. In that moment, I had everything because I had Jesus. And I didn't need anything else because I had Jesus. But after that moment, we've begun to add things to our lives. After that moment, we've begun to add new things over and over and over again. Even good things, right? Even like, well, I can't start my day if I don't do my Tony Evans Bible study. Hey, man, Tony Evans is a good man of God, right? But yes, you can start your day without it because Jesus, right? Because you have everything. Or I, I can't do this without a cup of coffee. Sure you can. Because Jesus, because you actually had a moment where you had everything. And that's still available for you. So friends, today uh, we're going to sing this song, but I want us to remember the holiday that's available to us today. It is National Realign Your Life with God Day today. It is International Get Your Life Right with Christ today. And we can do this by looking at ourselves in the mirror and looking at our Savior on the cross. 
and saying, I am different than him, and he did something for me that I never could have done for myself, and I want him more than I want anything. And I want to please God more than I want to be a pleasure to somebody else. And I want to please God more than anything else in my life. And when we can get there in our hearts, when we can see that moment again, if you've been there before and you can get back there, you realize you have everything and you don't need anything else. And you just walk by faith. And what he gives you is all you need. And what he puts in front of you, you are obedient to it. And you'll have a blessed life at that moment. But if you never experience that, please talk to somebody who's crying in the audience. Please talk to somebody who you look at their face and you're like, you've done something different. There's something different about your life. Or talk to me, please. Because this trap of materialism, it will eat us up and chew us out. It will chew us up and spit us out, church. And next week, as we get to the end of the matter, as Solomon calls it in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you will hear what he says. He says, your duty is fear God, obey his commandments before it's too late. Do it in your youth is what he says. So for all of us, wherever we are, look in the mirror, look at the cross, and say, King Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I need you, and I want you more than I want anything else, and I promise you he will meet you. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, I say thank you that you indeed hold it all together, that you are the one who does all things, that you are the one who looks at our life and adds everything we need to our life, that you are the one, Jesus, you and you alone, Jesus, have lived a life that is wholly pleasurable to our Father in heaven, and if we have confessed of our sin, repented of our Father, following of the devil and turned around to follow you now Jesus by grace through faith we can live a life that is pleasurable to God we can live a life where we enjoy the pleasures he offers us in creation we can live a life where we respect his boundaries and love his care of our lives more than we love doing our own self so God I trust you Lord I love you Holy Spirit please do something mighty in our minds and our hearts right now for your glory alone Everyone, let's stand to our feet. Let's give a shout of praise of hallelujah to our king, and let's sing this song together. Amen, amen. New song here. Psalms 27, 13 says. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.